Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been incredibly influential in human history from the time we were hunter-gatherers looking for fresh sources of water to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities eventually having plumbing uh, the way that it changed sanitation uh, irrigation and what is the what's the future of water are we going to have enough of this stuff how can we make more clean fresh water i just listened to a very interesting episode alchemy turning milk into water sustainable water management this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water coffee industrial practices sustainable value chain and social responsibilities with uh this man carlos uh galli who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast, live from my ex-girlfriend's place (laughs) in in Malibu. Um, Fond memories. Uh, Actually, the last time I was sitting at this table um, talking into microphones with my guest, my return guest, Peter McGraw. Do you prefer, like, when you're doing a podcast or whatever, do you you prefer Peter or Pete? It's weird. I... I prefer Peter McGraw, but then if you use my first name, I prefer Pete. I don't mind Peter, but right. I feel like I'm in trouble when someone says Peter. <laughs> right. um, and, well, and it, uh, regardless, so so Peter had, uh, he talked about his book, The Humor Code, which I hope all of you bought after the last time that I had him on the show, and we talked about um, benign violation theory and all of that goodness. And uh, and he's back in town, crashing with me. We're both crashing at my ex-girlfriend's place. And I have to say, if I had to guess, I wouldn't have guessed that you were the clean one. <laughs> I know. This place is a lot dingier than it was last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, it's not that I'm naturally clean. It's that I was ordered to do all of the cleaning <laughs> and stuff. So you just look around at like... The ghost town that's happened. There's like since dead I, plants everywhere. Just, you have no idea the dead plants that I threw away. Like, look at all those vases over mm-hmm. there in the kitchen. It was just like, it's like, how long have these plants been dead for? That that was acceptable. Um, and when, when are you gonna tell the audience there's a third person here? Um, I'm not. There is there is a. It, it's a special guest, Pete, and that's why. 
Um, it, way to stick up for your slave, Pete. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, we're starting with slave early. <laughs> well, I figured we'd ease into the slavery oh metaphor. But... <laughs> we need to restart this podcast. No, no I think I we think, should tell it I like it is. Oh, oh, so I slavery. can take away your salary? Is that what you're you're saying? I mean, I'm paid by the state, right? Isn't that how that works? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure it's a massive, massive salary. Fat stacks for in all PhD of the I'll tell you most it's cutting more than zero dollars. It's more than zero. <laughs> well, and it, does, it, does it cover her costs of living? I mean, uh, you'd have to ask you've her. Th- this mystery guest Sorry, I didn't reminisce about days past in uh, Shane's ex-girlfriend's place. This, well, this, the last time we were here, this is what I wanted to say yeah. was was that Peter was actually doing my old podcast yeah. the last time we were recording here, the Double Date podcast that I did with, um, with my ex, and, and he, had, he had a different um, girl uh, <laughs> at, oh, at this, that time. We that, really need to introduce what I am. Also, <laughs> uh, you're, you're the second woman that, um, that has been with me and Peter on a podcast together that also has no sexual interest in, in <laughs> Peter, as far as I can tell. I hope I'm not blowing the um, surprise for you, Peter. But the, the first not, one, just so real. if people are, are concerned, it's the first person was Amber Tozer, friend of mine. Super funny. Very funny. Comedian. Friend. Um, you can go back and listen to that yes. uh, Double Date podcast. Um, some of you might not know I used to have a podcast. I think I talked about it before. So it is now time for our special. There, my audience is used to it. I tell myself in my head, I'm like, they're used to it. They know yeah, my brain's like all over something. the place. Right. And, and, uh, and, uh, and always the first five to 10 minutes is me not having a clue what's going on. They like it. It's okay. It's genuine. That's just you've run the focus groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feels well, real. well Feels studied. Honest. Yeah, yeah. So my my extra special guest um, is PhD student, aka slave. Uh, it's accurate. Pete shakes his head, but it's accurate. This is not. First of all, hold on. Not to get too serious on YouTube, making jokes. <laughs> But it really is to call a grad student a slave is really uh, insulting to, to real slaves. Two actual slaves that existed. Yes. But I'm more, um, I'm more making fun of you. I uh, yeah, think, I understand. Than, this. this is your, than, you're, uh, you're punching I'm, up here. I'm, 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 I'm like cutting down your uh, like value to work for, like. Um, well, see now, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I, understand I, where that's headed. I ruined, I the know, value's I, I not ruined there, the so I must be. This moment <laughs> with reality. Yeah. Well, guys, when I first started making these slave jokes, <laughs> I just figured they're going to go perfectly, <laughs> and and now we've we've uh, got ourselves in a hole so much so that I'm like, oh, now we might need to start it over. <laughs> we actually might need to start it over at this point. Votes? <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm kind of okay with it not being started uh, over. Now you're okay <laughs> with it. We're, now that Pete we killed the joke, we're sticking with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Aaron, 
Percival Carter. Yeah. I said that correctly. It. You got it. I practiced it like 10 times and then I read it a bunch more and then I was still nervous about it. And I, no need. I, no need. I, I it was pro it. level work. I nailed it. So, all right. Um, all kidding. All hilarious kidding aside. So funny. You're in a PhD program for, uh, with Peter. He's your advisor. He is. Yeah. Oh, my the horror. The horror. Pete's all, Pete gives me advice all of the time. Yeah, me too. But he doesn't. I have to listen is the difference. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess you get paid to listen to his <laughs> advice. And I healthcare. have There's to get. Yeah. There is health care. Yeah. Student health, man. Great. <laughs> yeah. Not great. Not great. It's, see, I wish there was money. I wish like people cared about education and that sort of thing and there was money and funds for it you know look i wish there were more but you know we do it's what it is however it does seem like i feel like maybe you got tricked into it a little bit because you're being you're like oh humor research i bet it will be non-stop laughs you didn't actually think that was going to be the case did you or were you like, that sounds like a whole lot of laughs all the time. And then you started and then he gave you a, a whole pile full of data. And then um, the laughs died, just like in that slave joke earlier. And, and oh, man. And then the laughs died. That should be the, the name of my autobiography or the title. It's of my the title of this episode. And then far. the laughs died. <laughs> we invited two humor researchers to sit down and talk and murdered Every joke. This is, uh, this is um, as a comic, uh, someone, uh, yeah, I don't have a PhD in humor or anything like that. Clearly. I, <laughs> <laughs> I would say that I've, I've been at fault through most of this. Um, if I were to dissect where things went wrong, yeah. I'd say like it was never really on the tracks to start with. And then, um, and then Peter took my weird direction and then just like, well, let's take it off the rails. I think the thing is if the University of Colorado Regents played this podcast during yeah. one of their meetings, mm-hmm. I think that we'd be okay. I think by so now far. they'd be like, if, this is if compelling. They it, if they turned it off at the five minute mark. Yeah. And terminated contracts and so on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's actually what all of this is. We just need a solid 10-minute buffer of, I don't have tenure or a job yet. I need anyone who <laughs> listens to this podcast to listen to 10 minutes and then say, oh, nothing nothing offensive here. Yeah. So Question. Save it to it, the end. Is it better or worse to bleep the word slave? <laughs> oh, Worse. Way worse. Uh, way worse. <laughs> As a scientist. Yeah, yeah. Way worse. It would be way worse because also if you don't know, because you're trying to, like, what is exactly the word? And yeah. Then, then, like, it does a disservice to to real beliefs. <laughs> I don't think that would How work. much fun would that be? It is we'll, true. We'll do a bleeped version of the pod. Uh, we'll do the original, and then we'll, like, mix a bleeped version together. I like that. I like it's, that. We have the technology. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think what we've established is that um, that Aaron Percival Carter, graduate student, without a job, yeah. and clearly without tenure, really has the most to lose from oh, this experience. Oh, absolutely. Great advisor. When you said, <laughs> when you were like, I think what we've, uh, we've gathered so far, I was like, tell me. 
<laughs> we've <laughs> gathered something. We're now 10 minutes in, and I wasn't sure that we'd actually gathered anything, but we have. Uh, basically, I, um, the hope for this is that I'm going to make Aaron look amazing. Yeah, and let's do that. Hopefully, going to make Peter look. Eh, yeah, you know that uh, that happens. If you listen to, to the that. Double Date podcast, that's what yeah, happens. yeah. That's that's just our dynamic yeah. as friends. Um, so, how did you? Wh- what did you get a degree in before you went into uh, the PhD program? PhD. So I have an undergrad degree in marketing from where? The University of Wyoming. Where are you from? That's a very complicated question. I was born in Wyoming. I moved around a lot growing up. So Wyoming, Washington, Oregon, Montana, Nebraska, Colorado, back to Wyoming. Undergrad degree there. Mm -hmm. Worked for two years. PhD. Boulder. What did you do when you worked? So I worked. PhD program. PhD program. Yeah. Not done. Not done. Work Mm. in progress. Three out of five years so far, right? Three out of five. Ooh. Once you get to that point, it's it's starting to look really good. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I have no idea how this system works. So you're in good shape. I feel like I feel like now he's playing a cruel joke on you. Like, yeah. You're really. It's gonna be just fine for you. Uh huh. Any... No, I think that I mean Aaron will. Will I think Aaron will agree that I she gets honest assessments. Yeah, I my mean, my level of honesty with my with students is sometimes scary. But is that she right? shared a story with me um, that we're going we're going to share oh, um, right. now, and and it was right now. It was. I'm is, good is at okay? telling this story. Oh, now it's going to go poorly because I said I'm good at telling this story. No, but this is a wonderful story. Wait, you're gonna, you're when someone says I'm it. good at telling this story, it means they've told the story a lot. Yeah, I yeah. Have. yeah. She's been talking about you behind your back for some time now. Because here's the question that I get a lot. So Pete's your advisor. Why Pete? (laughs) I can see that. Yeah. And so you can see I've never I've I I guess I've had some students that I've advised, but Mm. not like Aaron's sort of the first real student. Right, so Caleb Warren and I w- have worked on the benign violation theory a lot, but he didn't do his dissertation with me. So another faculty member is considered his advisor, even though we've, we've um, worked together a tremendous amount. And then I've had some students who I've been their advisor for their PhD, like for their theses, but um, we haven't done a lot of research together. So Aaron sort of brings those two. We have a lot of projects together and are working She's your go-to. So this and uh, this and oh, and your right-hand lady. This is this is my eleventh year at the University of Colorado. So I've worked with a lot of students, mm-hmm. but they don't usually want to continue working. So because. so this woman is not your typical <laughs> bleep. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's what it was. Oh, that makes me like. really happy. I that, <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. Can you curse on the podcast? Of course. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. That makes me feel a lot better. I'll stop <laughs> monitoring quite so closely. Yeah. So the reason Pete is my advisor yeah. is I don't like uh, getting feedback from people and the like, I'm going to blow smoke up your ass and say like, this is really good. Like, I just want you to know it's good. You're doing well. Like, don't worry. Like, don't waste time on all of that. And Pete doesn't 
doesn't waste time on telling you how great what you did was. So I had this first year comps paper. I had to go meet with everyone after I turned my paper in, get it back, learn I passed. You have individual meetings with all the faculty. Um, and I had, I think, four meetings where people said really nice things. This is good work. You should feel very good about this. You should continue it. I'm feeling pretty good about myself by meeting number three. And I'm a pessimistic person, but walk in to meet with Pete thinking like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to just hear how wonderful I am for another 30 minutes. I walk into Pete's office. Pete says nothing. He says, sit down, and slides a copy of my paper across the desk to me and says, I want you to read that sentence, whatever it was, the third one in the second paragraph. And I said, OK, pick it up, read the sentence. And I look up from reading, and Pete is miming vomiting behind <laughs> his desk. <laughs> And just looking at me, and I was like, you're right, it's, it's a bad sentence. It's not, not my best work. But it's one sentence in like a 30-page paper. estimate how many sentences would you say was enough, in this? Enough, enough. I'm not thousands defending this writing. Sentences. I'm saying it's a I bad wish, sentence. I wish we had that sentence for you to read. I know. I have my laptop. I don't want to find I, it. I can make the puking noises for us. Yeah. No, that no. is, you really, I mean, because m- most people, I think, you strike as like an affable, um, uh, you know, likable person, and and uh, now I have this image of just this evil. Yeah, it's I'm not evil. Like, I'm not playing. What's the guy from the Paper Chase? The the like law prof- Harvard law professor who just like it's an old movie, but like just kind of like really yeah, yeah. angry, kind of just like just tearing students apart. It's not bad. It's not angry, you fail, you should feel bad. It's just I think I was probably this teasing should be better. You. I was teasing you a bit and I wouldn't I wouldn't tease you if if I didn't think you could handle it. But I have to be I'll be really honest, you're not doing you're not doing students, especially students you believe have what it takes to be successful in this business by taking it easy on them. It seems like that's a lot of the world like I feel like I missed the boat on that in my education, like one one generation later, and it's like now there's like no grades. There's just like pats on the back for yeah, being I think, who you are. And yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that's uh, and I just like I mean it is the, so the world of academia is a, it's a like it's a wonderful world if you're good at it, mm-hmm. and it and it's very hard to be good at it, and it's very hard to be good at it because work is just difficult to do to begin with and it's also cutthroat it's incredibly competitive and so like i'm i have high expectations and the sooner you kind of start to go oh wow this is going to be really hard i'm going to work have to work very hard even pay attention to every word in a paper Mm. yeah so well i also like that um I'm but it was a really bad it must have been a horrible sentence it was bad to make pukey i'm not faces. i'm not defending it it wasn't like pukey faces it is wasn't really funny. great work but you must do, do you think that pete just maybe just finds puke funnier than most people i, I mean it is probably Pearl yeah is the lab i the do find research true. Lab. True. i do find puking funny <laughs> i'll admit that i i don't 
Yeah, not well, my see, it's, it's too much of a violation humor. for you. Not benign enough. Yeah, repeat, well, especially when your work that. is causing it. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. It is an efficient way to go about getting feedback. It is. None a, of this. You're just really point good. Out a That's thing. actually my worst fear, though, is to have people say, like, this is really good. And then you leave the room and they're all like, man, whoo, that was Good thing we didn't tell nightmare. her the truth. Yeah, you're not doing anyone any favors if you think their ideas are if you if you don't tell them their ideas are weak or if you i mean you're saving someone a lot of time it's interesting like when i see comedians i'll like sometimes criticize or give little bits of of things to a joke of comedians that i really respect a lot mm -hmm. and then when i see some like open micer who's clearly never ever going to make it it's like hey good job there Mm. Yeah, which, which, by the way, there's probably people listening right now. They're like, hey, but you said good <laughs> job to me one time. I'm not talking about the, you. So this was, was this the flaw paper? Was that your first year paper? No, it was it paper? was the paper about uh, like putting effort into making a donation. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're only 18 minutes paper? in and the we're already going to talk about science. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Is, I'll try and laugh back out of talk. it. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was the paper? Uh, so it was an I this idea that there's lots of uh, like selling situations where they bundle a donation part of it, right? So like, oh, do you want to round up? We're going to give the money to the Humane Society or mm -hmm. whatever it might be, or you know, buy this many yo play and we're gonna cure breast I cancer. I hate that so much. When I go right. through a drive-through and they're like, "Hey, you want to?" give a dollar or you want us to spit in your food yeah yeah exactly and so i think it was partly because i have that same frustration that like oh you're making me look like a jerk like i don't yeah. look good for doing people. it i just look bad for not doing it and i don't get any of the credit from this really yeah. at the end of the day it's whole foods or mcdonald's or whomever who gets to say and we donated this much money by making people round yeah. up their bills. And so the idea was to change it from what it looks like now to making people put some more effort into it. And then they would feel like they got to take some credit mm. for making those donations. But the data didn't work. So that that paper's dead. Hmm. Still like the idea. There must be a lot of dead ass papers out there that started out as just the dream of a wonderful idea and then you get the data back and you're like ah yeah or crap. you just keep working on the idea and then you just realize oh it's just i mean so most i think i actually like a lot of ideas that come that 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 sort of come out of these things but um sometimes those ideas don't hold up like so it's not actually reflected in collecting the data which um shows why like psychology is superior to philosophy mm. Uh, the other one shots fired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard to argue that point. Yeah, but 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 philosophy kind of um, is, is is the initial creation of what then you're. I mean, every, sure. every psychologist is originally a philosopher in that initial idea. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So when you yeah. have A and B, and it's better through. than just A. Right. Right. That's. That's the thinking. That makes sense. Um, I like just winging it and not well, having to back up anything that I say. Exactly. It's, it's, you're less likely to be wrong when you don't actually collect the data. <laughs> uh, so the other one, the other thing is this is that a lot of times that these ideas, even if the data sort of pan out or even if the data would pan out, it's just 
not a big enough contribution to the field, mm. right? That is that people will read the paper and they'll say, I agree, but they're essentially what they'll be saying, you spent all this time answering that question, um, you know, and, and the reason is that, that it, it is zero sum. You only have so much time and effort and energy right. and papers to publish in your career that on balance you should be trying to answer bigger rather than lesser questions. So, so as a result, most ideas, even ones that seem good at first, don't end up working out. So it's, a lot, it's actually a lot like writing jokes. So most jokes that you write aren't actually that funny, don't nope. become material for on the stage. The same is true for when it comes to coming yeah, up like with... One out of a thousand, maybe... Well, one of a, out of a hundred, I'll try. Mm -hmm. One out of a thousand ends up on TV. So it's not that high in, in academia, but what we, so what we do in our program, for instance, is our students write a first-year paper, a second-year paper, which serves as their qualifying exam, and a third-year paper. And that's, like, that's just the forced ones that they have to write and demonstrate their competence. But then they're also constantly coming up with ideas in, in their classes. They're coming up with them on their own faculty are pitching them ideas so they have ah, I got all this I got this whole list of ideas that I think are pretty good but I need someone to help me kind of try to develop it and then see you know I mean at some point you sort of go mm, let's let's work on these two and not these four um, and so way. to bring it back around and defend vomiting <laughs> that's why it's nice to work with someone that doesn't waste mm. a lot of time saying like oh well your idea is not not bad it could be good like just no don't do this don't waste time on this go do something else that's better because this is not great that's just more efficient thank you Aaron you're welcome the here's the here's the other thing to, to show that a I'm not a monster and B that Aaron Pete you're not gonna win that argument they've already written uh, all my listeners have already seen this true side of you the title of the episode is pete is a monster, is a monster. <laughs> and that's been my running joke is that anytime you have to tell people you're not a monster you probably are yeah that um, seems fair I am but, not a monster. but uh but aaron's second year paper there was a, I was is wondering this, if there is, was ever a success in there because it was like, one, the data didn't work out, yeah. and then two, just got a lot of pukey faces. Oh, yeah, that paper's dead. It's and gone. It's, yeah, yeah that is, and, it. and it should be. But, uh, but um, Aaron's second-year paper is brilliant, and we're working on it. Yeah, it is. And I'm, it's as, I'm as excited about that paper as I am. Do you want to talk about it, Kenya? Or is it yeah, like, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah? So um, like most of my research ideas, it came out of a pet peeve of mine. Uh, I like live music a lot and i like a true encore where it feels like something special is happening that it wasn't planned and that is very rare it just doesn't happen anymore and so my poor husband every time we go to a concert would have to listen to me just kill the vibe in between the show itself and the encore as i turn to him and say oh look they're not bringing the house lights up it's dark. If I wanted, to, the show is over, in air quotes, right? And if I wanted to leave right now, I couldn't. The lights aren't up. Everything's still out on the stage. Like, we know what's happening. The band yeah. is, like, taking a hit or, like, pounding a couple of shots, and they're going to come right back out. So why put us through this nonsense? They're I want not, it to feel more off, real. They're not, like, your perception of how cool it is 
of a time they're having, yeah. I bet is wrong. I bet they're not running back and quick doing some shots and lines of blow or whatever. I think they're going back being like, ugh. All right, how long? What do we wait? Thirty seconds, and we could just go back out there yeah. to do that hit and get or this done. Com- get yeah, this yeah. done. But anyway. Yeah. So so. It started from this pet peeve a little bit, but the basic idea is that if you add flaws to things, it makes ah, it feel more yeah. real. So there's this process that I can't really observe. Like I don't know whether or not the band had it. I don't know whether or not the band. Uh, had the encore completely played out. I I didn't see the set list, but I'm looking for clues in what this experience feels like to determine whether or not the encore is real. And when it's so kind of perfect and smooth, like there's lighting cues and pyrotechnics in an encore, no, then it's not an encore. Uh, and so, so the idea is looking for flaws to kind of signal these invisible processes. Ah, yeah, that's interesting. It's really nice because. Um, so from a, it's, it's nice from two perspectives in, in my mind. One is, is that it, it's giving you some insight into how people reason about the world, mm-hmm. how they try to understand a world that they can't see. They can't see the decision-making that's happening behind, behind the stage, for instance. And they're looking for cues. And it's interesting because a negative cue, a flaw, can actually signal something right. positive. Well, we've talked about this um, on, I think... Nick Epley or Adam Waits, um, who worked together, so I forget which one I talked with about what, but he talked about how um, how uh, they've added what what was it? It was it was about how um, people trust self driving cars more if they add like these weird errors that make it seem. It, it right. was um, it, the thrust of it was how. How like when things go wrong uh, in uh, like a car or toaster or whatever, you start to um, assign a personality to it. So this 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 old truck starts breaking down, and you're like, "Oh, this old girl." Mm -hmm. Or you have a flawless vehicle, and you don't think about it as like uh, you have no real connection to it. Kind of soulless. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so I'm trying to think. There there was something with like self-driving cars or something. It was like they were putting people in simulators or something, and if it made an error once in a while, they actually trusted it more. Huh. Um, That's nice. So yeah, we've yeah. talked about this concept a little yeah. bit before. Um, yeah, and so it's not it's not just encores as much as I want to write the encore paper. It's it's other things too. Well, so if you think about like a celebrity autobiography paper, <laughs> well, a- after yeah, yeah. you do that, yeah, and then and then someone reads it and they don't make any pukey faces, and and Pete's like, wow, what a great paper, and then you, uh, and then you're about to leave, and then you're like, oh, I forgot something, boom, boom. encore paper on encores. <laughs> So we, uh, one thing I like about working This is how much fun I imagine academia is, by the way. You know the backstage in between the encore thing? Same thing applies yeah, to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I like about working with Aaron, especially on this paper, is, is I've been trying to experiment with some different ways to go about writing. And, uh, and she's, she's willing to tolerate my kind of obsessive tendencies and, and actually the pain that I put her through in doing joint writing sessions. So, so one of the things that happens when write, people write papers, I, I mean, as an aside, I want to I say that second thing that, that I like about the paper, and then we can move on from it. But, and the second thing about it is that it actually runs contrary to kind of 
best practices in marketing. So in best practices in marketing essentially says is pursue total quality. Try to make your product as perfect as possible. And what this is showing is that in not a, not a large number of circumstances, but in a small subset of circumstances, actually a flawed product will be preferred to a flawless product. Well, look, look at, um, so you can look around this place and see like the decorations and the furniture. And what you'll notice is there's all intentionally lots of flaws in any of the pieces that are considered nice in any way. And it's like, uh, originally, if you were, if you were, say, um, making um, knives or something like that, you, you tried to get uh, the most perfect one and everything. And, and if you owned the most perfect, best fork or whatever it was, uh, this was, this is like the gold standard. But then once they had factories and they could just crank out this perfection all the time, then all of a sudden people want to see like the nicks in it in the handmade right. yeah. uh, stuff. You're describing some Absolutely. of our stimuli in our experiments. Really? Yep. Yeah, we have a whole a whole thing about a chair, and if you want it to look like a handmade chair, like a craftsperson made the yeah. chair, then you want it to have like a nick in it, or or for it to look a little bit off. And so the other another kind of place that this idea came from is when I worked in between my undergrad and coming back and doing the PhD is. Uh, one of the companies I did the marketing for sold reclaimed wood. And we figured out that it, we'd, we'd send these sample boxes all across the country and the world of you know samples of this is what our, our reclaimed wood looks like. Um, and we learned that if we sent those out with like a rusty nail in it, people were a lot more into it than if it was the exact same piece of wood but without the rusty nail. So we started kind of strategically including nails in these boxes because then you open it up and you're like, oh, this has a story. Like the whole reason I'm buying reclaimed wood is so I can, you know, have people come over and say, oh, this is so pretty. What is this? They're only going to do that if they right. see the nail and then you get to tell this whole, this well, whole story. Well, I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of if you're advertising, um, you know, wealth or character, what, 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 like the the value in something. Once mm. things become too perfect, it's like, oh, the, well, the, you just got that at Walmart. That's like a yeah, 10 yeah. cent thing. Yeah. Whereas so, if there's these signs that someone labored over it. Yeah, so one of the things that's happened with this paper, so I, I've, I've become pretty obsessed with writing. Um, and <laughs> Aaron smiles. <laughs> Under, when, understatement. When I say that, year. and, and I, cause I, I, I do believe the data, this is, this is where, uh, where the philosophers will be happy is that um, I actually believe that if you can get the A part right, um, the data almost takes care. It, it's, you know, like the data just follows. Like now the studies aren't tests anymore, but they're demonstrations. They're just a reason to believe um, that the logic that you've laid out really does exist, that you just haven't pulled a fast one over people's over his head so so when you re when you read one of my papers there's not like this big reveal this big counterintuitive moment where you have everybody thinking x and then you show them y and you're like bingo surprise but rather that you just create a very strong story that pulls in examples from the real world theory mm -hmm. and puts them together in a logical kind of way that now you know what to expect 
Well, what happens though in academia, and this is the thing, all these, these people that you're interviewing, they have these like really wonderful stories and these great experiments and this whole like nice package. A lot of those, those papers actually happened where they tried to test A and they found B and then they had to rewrite, they basically had to write the paper for B. And I'm trying to avoid those kinds of situations where you have to rewrite an idea because the data didn't turn out the way you thought it would because you hadn't thought it all the way through. And so we've been almost like in many ways, the introduction of the papers written, but not, not all the data are in. And so, um, and, and we've been doing this, uh, like normally this is like the last thing that you do. And I'm trying to see what happens when you do it first betting on the fact that the, the hard work early will pay off later as we continue to get data. But what it means is that we're, re we're reading these things aloud, both of us together. It's like there's this idea of what's called uh, paired programming in the world of, of computer science where one person writes code and the other one sits over their shoulder and watches them write code mm -hmm. and catches errors. It's a lot like, like these rally car drivers who have a navigator who's like rock you know and so what we're, we've been experimenting with this stuff like and aaron is good because because i can shout rock yeah or yeah. <laughs> you missed a comma exactly no but it's not even just that it's like i i mean i'm the same way on my own writing like i'll read one of my sentences i'm like that is h horrific yeah. You know, I, I can't believe I wrote. Oh, that. yeah. You this know? is I look through. <laughs> uh, if anyone ever got a hold of one of my notepads or something, it would just be horrifying because I mean, and a lot of times I know it's bad when it's coming out, too. But then sometimes I look back on like, whoa, why did I think that was a good idea? Yeah. And now I got to bleep all those words out before it goes out into the podcast. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and by the way, new name, um, Peter game changer McGraw. Oh. Um, and also uh. I'm so distracted right now because I'm thinking of an encore that I saw recently. I went to, um, I was in Vegas and I went to duck dynasty, the musical oh my with, God. My, with that my brother. It did exist. Oh, it's done. Yeah, yeah. We got tickets. I, I, I saw I saw a billboard for it. I texted my brother. I'm we like, must see this. What do you think? And I've raised my brother to be like a miniature version of me um, or a younger version of me, whatever. And and uh, he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to that. Right. And then we went, realized that it had only been open for a month and it was getting canceled two days later. Okay. And there's like all these articles. It was like one of the biggest flops in Vegas history. And so, so we're so excited. Who could have seen that coming? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's so crazy. And the producers and stuff, there's quotes of the producers in interviews like, well, we missed the mark on this yeah. one. And it's like, <laughs> no excuse. Turns out the, the two no. circles of... What is it? It's a musical? Yeah. Musical theater goers and Duck Dynasty watchers. Not a ton of overlap in those <laughs> yeah, audiences. Not a lot. Unforeseeable. Well, is it that? Is it the audience? No, it was the execution, no? No, it was it was everything. Okay. Because they could have made it ironic, like making fun of them, and yeah. maybe this would be something. Like that, right. Mormon. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But this was instead very pro, like, duck call. Yeah, <laughs> and I see. Like, uh, 
Uh, there'll be like love scenes and stuff. It's like you in your camouflage, me in my camouflage. <laughs> no, it's oh so my good. Gosh. It was like it was so amazing and on on so many levels. It's like well, we're gonna build the best duck all the world's ever seen. And I was like all these uh, like it started with now them being famous and then went back. I I hope that they'll bring it back to like L A or like new york or austin as like an ironic thing yes mm-hmm. right. and still because this is like this is a 15 piece like orchestra behind them uh-huh. there's like all these like juilliard trained like very professional oh actors and then there's points that like like remember they got in all the trouble the old guy got in the, uh, in right, the trouble right. for the homophobic remarks that's in the place no, no, defending gonna, it yeah it's like it's like there's an evil uh journalist who misquotes <laughs> them and then he breaks off into a oh song it's gosh. like it's it's like I love everybody equally. I'm just doing what the Bible tells me to do. <laughs> How do you remember and, all these? And were you scribbling? I, I'm, th- this is like that's like the gist of oh, what okay. the song was. That I think good. that was the point that my brother gave it in involuntary standing ovation. First off, it was like <laughs> it was like church laughs the whole time. You know, you're in church. Oh, this is interesting. Church laughs. Humor researcher. So yeah. what happens? You're in church or you're at a funeral, and you're kind of like, okay, like what's the best way to behave here? Do I look down or up? Do I look at uh, anyone else? Well, just whatever you do, don't laugh. And then the second that is like, oh god, that's the funniest thing in the world. Why is that so funny? That 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 weird contrary. You can sit and think about that. I'm going to finish this, and by the time the encore, maybe you'll have a, we can brainstorm a reasonable explanation for the church laugh. That'd be interesting. Um, so, <laughs> so we're just like snickering. Like, it's the hardest I've ever laughed. I, I, I can't, like, people come up to me after shows, and they're like, oh, my face hurts, my stomach hurts. And I always just, I'm like, oh, they're just lying. They're just saying that mm-hmm. to be nice. Forgetting that that's a thing that people experience because mm-hmm. it's been so long since I've experienced Comics that. And it was an that, hour a bit. and a half of because this is the sort of thing that comics really, really savor and enjoy. And, and like my brother gave it an involuntary standing ovation and then like realized what he'd done. And, tur- and everyone's like got their arms crossed. Meanwhile, there's like 60 people in a 700 seat venue. And, <laughs> and like, so the, we got the cheap seats, which are $60, but they put us right dead center in the middle. And, oh, it's so amazing. And that, and, uh, so they finish and we're like, we're both just like, wow that was amazing how does this exist and it doesn't it only existed for like 30 days and and then they come out it was like i can't believe that anything could shock me but the encore was amazing they come back out and they're like hey everybody i have an idea what if we did a musical and they're like, no, we can't do what we know about making musicals. And then it's like, well, what do we know about television? And look at us now. And then they break off into a song about creating 
an amazing, wow. successful musical, which is the thing that you just saw, and it's failing. It's in like the last and the three encore. Days. No one decided to get rid of that encore. No one decided to get rid of it. It's the best thing I've ever seen. Anyway, oh, that's beautiful. But that, so that's it's the best encore I've ever seen. Church laugh. Yes, well, I want to hold for a second because I have a high need for closure. Yeah. And and so we were talking about this idea of of. of doing these like writing sessions and obsessing about the writing of this paper, even though all the data aren't in. And, but, but you start having these insights that happen when you work very hard on the idea. So for instance, what you described about this flaw issue is that there is a, there are a set of circumstances where people do indeed like flaws, mm-hmm. right? So, so on one hand, people tend to, to per- pursue perfection, right? So, so the statue of David was considered so perfect that, rather than putting it up on a building or thing, they put it on the ground so people could see it up close. Um, that, that is, but that was before they had like molds and stuff like that. Sure, sure, and, sure. and it was commonplace. Yeah, no, but then also you have, um, for instance, like a stamp with an error that might fetch a million dollars in an auction, mm. right? So if something gets, gets this process fails and there's some error and it makes this thing unique. And so this stamp is now one of a kind. It's the only one in the world. There may be thousands of them, but this one is, is, is on its own. And so this notion of um, scarcity arises. So people like to have things that other people can't have. They like things. And so as a result, sometimes they prefer flaw thing, flawed things to non-flawed things. But Aaron's idea isn't about, isn't about scarcity. Mm. Um, it's it's actually about how this flaw signals some some other valuable thing that's out that you can't tell by looking at it. Um, like um, I if if um, if I if you're talking about something and then I just launch into talking about Duck Dynasty <laughs> without like having closure that makes it's it seem very, very obvious that this was improvised uh, yeah, yeah. yeah it makes it seem genuine like it oh was, this, this yeah. wasn't a scripted thing this right. is these people mean these words yeah know? and it's fine i mean look i don't mind that you interrupted but it does no like, i'm just saying like that the, yeah or no, you I know if you have an intro where someone makes a slave reference early in a conversation no one's yeah. going oh these jokes were planned yeah there, there's this nothing so planned smooth. about that joke yeah. so no one ran that one by me before yeah, this thing no you guys are definitely that whole last sentence is just one bit long bleep. <laughs> I, I have all oh, the power this here. It's going to be rough. <laughs> I need a job one day. No, no. I, I was like, I was, well, I was just applying to yes, it. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. it's a good, no, it's a nice absolutely. example. It's actually a nice example of it. So, so I, I mean, I don't want to belabor this, this, uh, cause we still have to actually finish collecting all the data, finish writing it, submit it, have go through peer review. I mean, this process takes years. It's mm. like, it's just, I mean, so, so you have these nice ideas. Most of them aren't a big enough contribution. Some of them, the data don't turn out. Then a whole, then the other one is you have to convince at least three angry anonymous reviewers that your idea is good enough and that it's, and that it's executed well enough that it's convincing that then someone will publish it behind a paywall and then only a few hundred people, and if you're lucky, will ever read yeah. it. Yeah, generous, generously a few hundred. <laughs> Which yeah. is why I like talking about these kinds of right. things, right? Because w- this idea already will reach way more. Just more from people th- just this from this. My, uh, Who needs to write the paper? 
Well, yeah, you, we do actually. I know, but, I yeah. know. No, it is funny. That's like this podcast that is like it's not like on the top podcast charts or anything like yeah. that. But yeah. it's Yet. still yeah. But it's it's very new. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm very happy with uh, how how things are going. That's the that's not the point. The point is is even like a marginally successful thing is like getting so many so much more exposure than than what rock star scientists are are um getting for yeah i know like i think about this in terms of like for the future of academia it'll be interesting to to see what gets considered to be a publication so um i mean i'm i'm I like to think I'm still early in my career. Some people would say mid-career. I think my most cited paper has 650 sites, which is nice because the modal number of sites for a paper is zero. <laughs> that is, most papers don't get cited. Or maybe it gets one or two or three. You know what I mean? So From the same author so it's, five yeah, years later. Yeah, and so that's... Um, it's this uh, po- what we call positively skewed distribution. So there are a few papers that are huge hits, and most papers have almost no effect, you know, in the world. But but what about publishing a book or doing a TED talk or appearing on a podcast that gets thousands, even millions of views? Right now at universities, that that doesn't count. That's not considered a um, an indicator of scholarship. And yet, th- there's very clearly reach. It's harder to know how much of an effect that's having on the world, but you would think that would be. Yeah, I mean, thing. it does seem like, I mean, that's one of the things, that, I mean, I've talked about this before, but that's a big part of why I have this podcast. It's just like, oh, there's important ideas that, and I, I mean, I'll try to read a paper once in a while. Uh-huh. I'll try to read your paper when you're done with it. I won't be able to very well. I no, no, you'll, you'll be if able you to can't, that then that means we failed. We failed. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, then you really are changing the game because a lot of a lot of papers are just incredibly difficult, way too jargony, yeah. um, way too technical, and and then I'll see. I'm like, but what amazing ideas! Yeah. Uh, you talk to someone, it's like, oh, and and, and my listeners write in and they're like, that's amazing. I can't. But, but this is like in, in the academic world, it's probably like a bunch of stuff that's cliche by, by the time it's actually reaching any kind of an audience. Mm-hmm. It is a shame. One day people will care about knowing things. I'm confident. Well, I think that it have, it, it's a matter of... Look how, look how popular TED Talks are these days. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's Netflix, an appetite. Everyone's watching it all, uh, TED Talks all the time. So there's, there's definitely an appetite for this stuff. There's a, there's a lot of smart people out in the world who are who want answers, who, who are perplexed by the world, and it's nice to get those insights. And so it's like, well, what's the right, right vehicle for it, and how do you find, um, and how do you create an incentive structure that an already difficult job uh, doesn't become more difficult? By now you have to, to satisfy um, peer review, and then you, then you are also doing all these other outward-facing kinds of things. Dealing um, so with a publisher or something like that. For yeah, a book and, 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 and welcoming journalists into your laboratory and, you know, those and, and spending the time prepping on these kinds of things. So I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting. I'm betting that this is what's going to happen. That's why I've embraced it. Also, I think it's important and I think it's fun. And so in that way, it's 
There's something really sad about the idea of spending three or four years of your life writing a paper and then just like shouting it into the void. Zero sights. No one ever hears. Like you can't work on something well, like that for that long unless even you care like about it. The people it. that are citing it are probably people that you're running into in conferences or whatever yeah, anyway, yeah. and are already familiar with <laughs> with yeah. the stuff. Yeah. Um. It. Yeah. It'll change. It's getting out there. So do you do? Um. So uh, have you worked specifically on any uh, humor related stuff? Like what? What are you working on with Pete? Yeah, so the the, fir the project we have on humor that's furthest along is there's this really kind of compelling intuition, which I'm sure you're familiar with, that uh, comedians are like screwed up people mm -hmm. somehow, that you have to have like a dark past or like a screwed up childhood to be a comedian. And we basically say, well, what, what if that's not the case? Why might it seem that way if it's not true? And using using the benign violation theory, which I don't know if we need to recover. Yeah, we, we uh, could quickly. Um, so uh, go for Pete, it. You've got it down. Just uh, yeah, get, give the quick. By the way, listeners, you should have already paused this and listened to the first one with Pete <laughs> if you hadn't already. So this is your fault, but we will do a quick thirty seconds. Sure. Recap. So the the quick answer. So to really understand humor, you have to to understand what, what makes things humorous, right? So if you're interested in implications, so this idea is, is related to sort of implications. And, and so the quick answer to what makes things humorous is things that are wrong yet okay, things that are confusing yet make sense, things that are threatening yet safe, what we call benign violations. And so in that way, humor arises from potentially negative things and uh, it's those negative things that are seen from another perspective to be perhaps not so negative or even good. And what you have is the, the kind of arousal that comes from um, something scary happening, for instance, seeing a snake and then realizing that it's a rubber snake. And then it, it's like now all of a sudden the threat is safe and you... And I still delight. have nightmares from the peanut brittle that my parents <laughs> left out for me. And <laughs> Nothing benign uh, about too that. Too much of a violation yes. there, mom and dad. Yes. I wasn't ready. Yes. And, then, and then your laughter indicates to others that this situation that seems wrong is actually okay. That's the quick So someone, someone comes in um, for a review of a paper or whatever, and you make a pukey face, but it's like so over the top that it's like, clearly I'm not an actual dick, like <laughs> making like a real, you know, uh, like, like you were doing it in jest, yes. obviously. Yes. Of course. And because it's you're so ridiculous, it's so it's over funny. the top ridiculous that it makes it benign. This, this kind of insult, um, you know, that's what I hoped. Yeah, I think that you happened. nailed it. And so that's actually for the, for like a good illustration of you, the paper. Is, yeah. For the hard time that I gave you, I was like, that is hilarious. Oh, it was funny. It was funny. What a hilarious thing to do to somebody. Yeah. Was, yeah, I enjoy that. So, so the idea for the paper is that because trying to make people laugh requires you to talk about things that are wrong on some level, yeah. you're just bringing up different ideas. So there aren't very many occasions in my life where I'm like, I'm going to walk into this room and I'm going to tell stories about my screwed up childhood mm -hmm. to make people like me. That, d that doesn't work for like 
any other emotion or any other kind of impression you want to create in other people other than humor. And then maybe it's a good strategy to go in and talk about a fight you had with your significant other or dead plants, dead plants through the house. Yeah. You wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't walk into your typical job and talk about openly about your alcoholism exactly. yeah. and, and make light of it. Yes, but, exactly. Uh, but when you're trying to. to make people laugh, it's a great strategy. It's, it's better than talking about how great your life is and how perfect it is, mm-hmm. right? That's, I mean, no one, right. that's not good comedy because when there's nothing wrong with the situation, it's hard to make it humorous. And so you seek out the things that are wrong and you have a mic. So you, you basically behave non-normatively and behaving non-normatively is a great way to be funny. Hmm. It's just that the people in the audience also behave non-normatively but they don't have a mic. They suffer from alcoholism. They have bad relationships. Their exes. Dead plants. Dead all plants over the all place. the time, right? Peanut and brittle brittle incidents from childhood. Exactly. Yeah. So so you get this impression, regardless of whether comics are more screwed up uh, or not, they certainly seem to be. And that's what we've been testing with this. Yeah, I mean, very much so. I always feel like I get like a- any time that I have an idea where I'm like, God, I don't, I don't want to share that about myself. I, within a few seconds, I'm like, damn it. That means I have to, <laughs> because <laughs> it will be always be a really good bit. Um, so sorry, all of my ex-girlfriends that I talked about having bought sex with or whatever. On, on, but uh, I have a weird job and I, that's what I get rewarded for. And it's like, it's actually a good strategy. So one of the things that you learn either explicitly or implicitly as a stand-up comedian, at least is to start your set with self-deprecation. Mm. So you make fun of yourself. You point out the things that are wrong with yourself. And then sometimes that you, you point them out, like you broke your feet or something and it's too much of a violation for people. They feel they too bad for laugh, you yeah. and they're not sure if they yeah. can laugh yet. And you have to find ways to be like, like I'll often be like, Oh, it's okay. Like I don't really even need this cane anymore. And you know, I'll say things it's going to be, I'll make a hundred percent recovery. Don't worry about it. You know, it's, um, you play it down. Here's another thing. This is like, again, this is why you have to be careful about philosophizing too much, right? So you have, you have this intuition that, that humor arises from darkness. And um, so for years, theories have thought that superiority theory, which is the earliest theory of humor, basically came from that idea. Um, and then Freud's theory, which is also a prominent theory, is called release or relief theory, is that, that comedy is kind of this... Um, release mechanism for a kind of pent-up sexual or aggressive desires that we have. Um, so again, recognizing the negativity there. But if you take this idea and you say, oh, well, comics just, they come from this, ne- this negative background, um, you go, well, hold on a second. There's a whole lot of people in the world who come from equally bad backgrounds and they're not funny. So sometimes com- like some bad backgrounds turn people into murderers or depressives and so then what what is it that you know so now you can't say that having a screwed up past is a predictor of comedy because it's also a predictor of criminality or a predictor of Mm. insanity and so um 
you know, and then the other thing is that you start looking at comps, you go, oh, well, they die early and they suffer from all these kinds of things. You go, hold on a second. The data don't, don't support that. Comics are no different than other entertainers with regard to mortality. So they're not more likely, they don't, they don't live shorter lives than musicians do and actors do and so on. And then you, now you have to they come up with They just often think about short. <laughs> they, they talk about this, yeah. but they don't, you know, and so then now you need a theory is like, well, why does one person's darkness turn into musical talent? Another person's darkness turns into comedy, you know? And so it, it's actually a really puzzling question and it's not easy data to get mm. either. So, um, but it's fun. It's been a fun project to work on. And unfortunately, Aaron reminds me often that the project started with me going, I had this idea for a blog post. Do you mind helping me get a little bit of data for it? Like she just essentially was doing me a favor. It was yeah. supposed to be a blog post that I wrote the summer before I started the program. So I wasn't even officially a PhD student yet. And I was like, oh yeah, this is a fun idea. Let's run one study, put it on your website as a blog post. That'll be like a fun thing to do. Three years later, hours and hours and hours of reading and writing the same eight-page paper over and over again. Yeah, I, I don't even know that it's necessarily the comic as I think the audience is is, is sort of um, molding that. I think that's, um, that's how, um, just a part of like how societies organize themselves and in, in, um, in, in these patterns. I, I, I'm not saying this exactly the way that I want to, um, but the idea being is I think that it's audiences responding to that because either it's novelty, like, Oh, I always, I'll get that after shows. People be like, God, I, I wish I could just get up there and like complain about my day or, or my job or whatever. So it's kind of a relief in the sense that, well, one people like to imagine themselves being able to do that. But two, to be like, Oh, I thought I was the only one mm -hmm. that did that. So they're attaching to that. I think it might have more to do with the audience. Well, I, get, I, su I suspect the people listening to this right now are saying, wait, hold on, but. And, and the but that you'll get is, but all these, there's all these comics, you know, who, you know, there's like Belushi and then most recently Robin Williams. And they start to point out these examples of these seemingly funny cheerful people who um, who commit suicide or overdose and so on. And uh, I think some of that is just, and so I think that's, that's certainly pushed from the audience because people will, will bring up those examples. Um, the problem with that is that, that that might just be a memory bias. That is that that's a very memorable situation where someone who seems happy does something really unhappy. And what that does is it ignores the people who are really unhappy, who do unhappy things, lots of those things. There's lots of people who do happy things and uh, who, are, who are happy and do happy things. There are plenty of comedians who meet that criterion. There are people, right? plenty of people that aren't happy but do happy things yes. as well. Right. And, and you so, but you just remember that. that, but you remember that one because it's just like it gets tons of press. Like, it's very hard to find press about happy comedians. Right. You know, but it's, you know, because there's no, there's not that tension there. Yeah. I mean, it's like someone, someone wrote my Wikipedia page for me. Like they asked me if they could. And I was like, yeah, I don't care. 
have at it. It's Wikipedia. Do you even have to ask? I think you can just like go and write whatever you want. Um, but anyhow, they must have just read a bunch of like newspaper articles about me or whatever. So, so the whole thing is like, after a long battle with anxiety and stage fright and blah, blah, because that's what journalists are. who yeah. want to make this narrative of this long, hard crawl to the top. And like, none of that's true. I'm not at the top. There wasn't a long crawl here. <laughs> like, you know, absolutely none of that is true in any way. There wasn't a bottom. There's not a top now. Yeah. You know, it's all, it was all relatively boring compared to how you have to write it to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I, um, this has been on my mind um, and is a bit distracting. And I almost like tried to write this on a piece of paper because I, I a bit of bookkeeping I forgot about. I have my guests mention a charity each episode and oh. we forgot to discuss this. We can totally edit this now. Do I have a but charity? If, yeah. you, if you have a charity... That I did the last plug. one, so let yeah. Aaron do hers. So I pick St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Is awesome. that a, Does that a pick every other week? Um, I think you're the second person now. Great. If even. My need for uniqueness is fairly high, so I feel okay about being if second. If even. I'm not sure if we... But at, at most, you're the second. St. Jude's St. Children's Jude. Research yeah. Hospital. I feel yeah. good about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah Let's yeah. do it. You're the second. We should definitely... Let's double double i'm okay with being them. the callback to them yeah, yeah yeah absolutely well that's uh that's it everybody Wait, so we're all really church encore <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> i thought you were gonna let the church uh, laughter uh, thing go uh, no no this is the encore uh, everybody woo, it there it is it feels on. real <laughs> i feel alive <laughs> things are happening I, uh, I really, uh, yeah, is I messed up enough through this whole podcast that you guys were like, oh, and he's clearly flubbing this ending too, and so this seemed very genuine. Yeah, I I have listened to some of your podcasts, and I've been on one of them. Mm -hmm. This one definitely seems more off the rails than than most. Oh yeah, but we're really good friends. Yeah, so it's like you know, I don't know, it's a different dynamic. Yeah, Pete, and Aaron, very good. Aaron, Aaron's a new friend of mine. And Aaron Pete's can't. A, it's old, very difficult to offend Aaron. Yeah, like almost impossible. It's very difficult to do. That. There's a difference between not liking vomit and being offended by it. I'm, yeah. I have a pretty high tolerance. There's. I'm not going to say which ones, but like I just had. I don't. I don't put them out in the order. But I. I had like a couple recently that I was like, ah, that's a little drier than I would have liked to oh, it. And so it's nice to get a wet one in. We're con- <laughs> we're calling this a wet one. <laughs> <laughs> so is it pizza monster or a wet one? Because yeah, I yeah, yeah. think I prefer pizza monster, I mean, yeah. but, it is not but I'll leave it up to you. Will be more enticing. Yeah, yeah. Title. Okay, fine. So I think okay. th- I think this is an interesting idea. Okay. Laughing in church. What. Yeah. Yeah. I've, so yeah. Go ahead. I, I've I've spent exactly five minutes thinking about it. So oh, Nothing? I thought about it a lot Good. because my family likes to. Uh, laugh inappropriately at funerals or just have someone show up drunk in the middle of a family event that should be somber that's like how we handle things apparently and i think it's just like the purest example of something that's a violation everyone knows this is bad this is a thing that we should just sit here in silence but like the most effective way to just signal but it's going to be okay is for someone to laugh and then it's just such a relief 
Mm. to laugh at a funeral, to laugh at a wake, to see someone get hurt. And if they pop up laughing, you're like, oh, okay. It's just a really clear signal. We're all going to be fine. It's cool. Yeah, but it's definitely can border into that violation yes. land in a hurry. So oh, yeah. I'll if I've people aren't ready to say, no, it, it is bad. Like, yeah, how dare yeah. you say that this is okay? How dare right, you laugh right, at this right. funeral? Yeah, it's risky. Yeah. But So I'll, I'll add two quick things. So one is, is there is a cultural element to this. So there are certain cultures where laughter is a common part of a funeral service awake and so on really yeah and, and even that the even Where? the um so ireland for instance mm. you can it's pretty easy to find mm. that but even um and, and some like some cultures even sort of roast um ah. the deceased and so on it, and, and you know it's a way and if you you know roast not comedy central roast but but like friars club roast the origins of of roasting is done with a great deal of affection mm. Um, here's another idea that I have about the church laughter or the funeral laughter that I think is nice. And that is that um, there's, there's this idea in psychology about priming. So even just thinking, like even using the word yawn, saying the word yawn, people hearing that are more likely to yawn. So it just activates the part of the brain which, mm-hmm. which creates yawning. So when yeah. you think don't laugh, now you're thinking about laughing. And now you're thinking about not laughing. And one of the things that is very difficult to do as a human is suppress emotions. And the research is that, that suppressing emotions is a really bad way to try to deal with your emotions because it, it actually can accentuate them. And so now you're saying, don't laugh. This don't is laugh, a lot in meditation, laugh. too. They'll talk a lot about like resisting or mm-hmm. focusing. And you just can, feel it until it's gone. Kind exactly. Of thing. And yeah. so you, so you, like, if you're angry and you try to like suppress your anger, it can actually backfire. And I, so I, it may be the case that you're thinking about laughing, you're thinking about not laughing, and you get these kind of that's reversals. That I had this morning, I was, this is whatever, I'm used to oversharing. But I was uh, on the way to be a guest on a different podcast. Um, Ask Women is the name of it. Um, uh, links on my website, whatnot. Anyhow, um, and I was listening to a song that I um, really liked, and I started like tearing up a little bit. Uh-huh. And then I was like, "Oh no, I'm gonna look like I was just crying and everything. Don't don't cry right now." And then that it wasn't a particularly. It wasn't like a sad song. It was just like. The moment just hit me in the right way, mm. and, then I, and then I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> because I was, and if I wouldn't have, if I wouldn't have, like, if I wouldn't have been going somewhere uh-huh. where that was inappropriate, or or where I was worried about someone seeing me or whatever, it would it wouldn't have never even been a thing, mm-hmm. you know. Like, like maybe my eyes would have welled up for a little, and then I would have went away. But because I was trying to resist it and do this contrary yeah. action. So that's my guess. I'd, I'd have to look into it more to, to think of that as a. But I again, think we're on the right minutes. track here. Yeah. Yeah. Want to write a paper with us? No. Laughing in church. I mean, we really sold the writing process. Could not have more fun at 7.30 on a Saturday morning. (laughs) My job is wonderful because I do strive to get accurate-ish information, Uh but I also have all the freedom that I want to to just say whatever I feel like and take whatever wild ideas. And I like that a lot more than looking at numbers. 
um, even though I like numbers as well. But um, yeah, well, that was a hell of an encore, Woo! everybody. We did it. Um, how about a big hand for Aaron uh, Percival? Percival. Percival. Aaron Percival Carter. I'm just the absolute worst at names. Aaron Percival, Carter's first podcast. Yeah. Ooh, it was a good one. I feel Do good, you, even if we went off the There was the a rails. lot of confidence there. Thank you for listening, everybody. I try not to bombard you with a bunch of tour dates and everything because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and a lot of times it seems a, um, a, a bit much. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean... Obviously, we all, uh, th a lot of the reason why we do this, uh, comics do these podcasts is to build up a fan base so that, so that we are actually drawing audiences who know us and know what we're about. You know, like you guys that listen to this show, uh, if it was a whole room full of you guys, I could do much more um, science -y. As, as Peter McGraw um, says I should coin it, uh, much more science-y uh, material in my act, knowing that the audience was prepared for that. But, uh, you know, at a, at a given comedy club, most people don't know who I am. They just thought, you know, it'd be a fun night thing to do to go out to the local comedy club, which I am all for, by the way. Always please support local comedy. Just because you don't know the person doesn't mean they aren't going to be funny. A lot of times the person that you do know is like Screech or something like that. Uh, and just some horrific stand-up comedian who, uh, not really even a stand-up comedian, it was just an actor and had a, had a well-known name. And people are like, oh, I know that person. Oh, that might be neat. And then it's the most awful show you've ever seen and then you don't think stand-up comedy is good because you happen to pick a stand-up comedy show that was performed by someone who isn't a stand-up comedian. That's my uh, little lecture about that. But, uh, but, you know, so a big part of the reason why I'm doing this show, obviously there is a lot of uh, self-interest in here and self-promotion. Uh, I'm not going to hide that from you. Um, I would love it if you guys came out and saw me live, but I'm not going to harp about uh, harp. On, uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do a bunch of long-winded plugs about each one of my dates and every single show, all the time on every episode. I, I really do try to keep that to a minimum. Uh, maybe one out of ten episodes, I mention specific dates that I'm doing. I'm not even sure I've done it in the entire uh, time that I've been doing this podcast. But I do have this special show coming up. I, um, some of you may have known, um, from hearing me on other podcasts that one of my passions is psychedelics and it's, uh, it's a weird thing to talk about. A lot of people haven't done psychedelics. Um, I have a long history with them. Um, I enjoy them myself. I'm not telling anyone else that they should do them. It's just something that I'm interested in and, um, and it, it's part of, why I like science and what got me into science and thinking about the brain and perception and how it works. And I can't, I can't uh, talk about psychedelics as much as I'd like to at your regular comedy club because a lot of people just haven't tried them and they're going to think I'm a weirdo. They're not going to be able to identify with it. They're, you know, they're going to uh, lose interest. And, and that's all very perfectly understandable. So what I'm trying to do is put together small little 
little indie venues all around, kind of in between my club dates. So I'll do my regular act in a club where sometimes I will do five or ten minutes of psychedelic material, but I don't get to really get into it. Um, know what I'm saying? So, so I'm putting together this kind of solo show in these small little venues that, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, how many people are going to show up. A lot of times these shows are the most fun. These, these like kind of quote unquote alternative venues. A lot of times they're little music venues and stuff and they're a lot more intimate. Sometimes it's just, you know, 30, 40 people in there or whatever. And, uh, and it allows me to be a lot more experimental and it, um, it, it allows me to kind of create more and, and a lot more loosely and, and I have a lot more freedom and I get to be myself more. So I've started putting together these small uh, little shows. So if that's something that you seem like you'd be interested in and if you're a fan of this show, I think you'll enjoy it. There'll be some science in there and some, uh, a lot of stuff about, uh, about perception and then also like some crazy stories of, of just me uh, being a fuck up, uh, which is entertaining as well. But um, so, so my first three dates, me debuting this, I would really appreciate the support. If you know anyone in Florida, I'm going to be in Gainesville, in Orlando, in Jacksonville, doing these small, little, intimate shows that are, are completely different than any other stand-up um, that I do. So. Uh, it would really mean a lot if if you know anyone around um, those areas, please, uh, you know, like-minded people, curious folks, uh, curious folk like yourselves, if you could spread the word for me and go to shanemoss.com and have a look at my website and um, and there there should be links to, again, Gainesville, Orlando, and Jacksonville. Uh, it's Jacksonville on um, August 3rd. Orlando on August 4th and Gainesville on August 5th before I head down to, um, 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 where am I going again? I just had a classic Shane Moss brain fart on you guys. Um, I'm going to uh, Fort Myers, Florida to Belushi's comedy bar. Um, that that weekend, that Friday and Saturday, and uh, and Thursday as well, and I'll be doing my regular stand-up act there. So um, go and support that. Well, go, uh, as well, go to both if you know anyone in the area. Um, but anyhow, I, sorry for uh, this is. I'm now looking at the clock, and this is six and a half minutes um, uh, of me plugging stuff, and I did not mean for that to happen. But this is a very new project that I'm very, very excited about. And it would mean the world to me if you guys can help me out and support. So thank you very much. And I'll talk with you guys next week. Next week on the program, I stopped through Baltimore and, uh, and got, a, got a couple of guests. And the, the first one, which will be coming out next week, is with Rebecca Ratner, who... Uh, talks a lot about uh, we had a very long conversation about going out and doing things by yourself uh, we, you know we find ourselves um, uh, if you're like me you travel a lot uh, by yourself and it's very easy to um, not want to go out and participate in life all by your lonesome 
you know, and go out to movies or do touristy things. And we talk a lot about um, some of the benefits of, of going out and, and um, doing hobbies and sightseeing and that sort of thing uh, by yourself. We also talk about um, um, how goal-oriented um, tactics can be changed and primed. I, I'm not saying that in the clearest <laughs> way, but, but listen in next week and you'll get a better sense of what just flew out of my mouth. Um, so I will talk with you guys then and take care of yourselves. I need, I need, a, <laughs> I need a tagline <laughs> at the end just so I have a way of ending that isn't like this each time. <laughs> I'll work on it. say uh, Seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing <laughs> Boris Karloff. What would, it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you 